I invite you to listen carefully. Well, our scripture reading this morning comes from Acts 2, verses 1 through 13. It is an account of the day of Pentecost. Um, Forty days after Christ's resurrection, he ascended to heaven. Fifty days after the resurrection, Christ sent the Spirit. Hear the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Direct us to your love. Direct us to your life, Lord Jesus. Open our lives to receive even more your Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, so what does this mean? It's a great question, isn't it? What does this mean? What does Pentecost mean? You'll be happy to know maybe we don't have enough time for that right now. <laughs> but we're going to give it a shot. We'll give it a start. And let's start with the Tower of Babel. See, Pentecost is the undoing of Babel. Do you remember this Old Testament account? Early in the, Genesis 11, early in the chapters of Genesis, this is after the flood, humanity comes back together and uh, goes to work and civilization is beginning to develop. And then all of humankind, yet again, kind of turning away from God, decide that they're going to build a tower up into the heavens where they can then reside in heaven and have dominion over all things. Uh, not having anything to do with God, but they want to contend with God and establish themselves upon the throne. They also, I mean, on a very simple basis, if you build a tower that reaches to the heavens, you don't have to worry about the flood anymore. So it's an, it's an attempt to short circuit and to pass around God's sovereignty and perhaps even God's judgment. And so God sees this and sees that it would actually not be good. And if you need like proof of that, just let's just look around. Um, it would not be good for, for human beings to try to seek in their pride to establish themselves as gods over everything. Because if we're all, then what do we do but fuss and fight and start wars and 
you know, hurt one another. God sees that this would not be good. So God comes down and confuses their language. Right? Now, you know, language is sort of the foundation, the basis of culture. And so in confusing their languages, they're unable then to work in this concerted manner to usurp God and establish themselves as um, lords of the earth. And so down through the ages we come, through the pages of Scripture, um, it is God's intention to reside with God in the heavens, but it has to be by another means. And so Christ comes, uh, God joins himself to our humanity, and then, remember last week, what was it? The, the ascension? Right? We focused on that. So now our humanity, and this was the mystery which we were speaking of and don't exactly know like, how to wrap our minds around this, but our humanity, the humanity of Christ, which has gathered up all of our humanity, now resides in heaven and has been taken into the very being of God. The place we hope to go is the place where Christ has taken us in our humanity so that Paul can say, my life is hid with Christ in God. But the way that Christ took our humanity to the Father by, out of his pride, ascending the ranks or building his way up, it went the other way, paradoxically. It is in his humility, taking on our humanity, going even to the point of death, entering into death and then passing out of it, and then being raised again, then being ascended to the right hand of the Father and being crowned. This is how Christ has done it. And so now that Christ has ascended, now that our humanity is gathered up into the Father in the power of the Spirit, now the Spirit is sent upon the church. And what happens? All of our confusion is now beginning to discover a new unity. In Jesus, the one who is Lord of all, the only one who can bring unity to the world. And so when Christ sends the Spirit, suddenly as the apostles are describing the mighty works of God, People can hear them in their own languages. You heard that long list of places who could hear the apostles speak in their own tongues. It's the undoing of Babel. It's the beginning of our ascension too. It's the beginning of God gathering up humanity into heaven to be joined to him. So there's like an Old Testament place to go to try to understand what does this mean? But another place we could come is just sort of the next paragraphs. Because after the apostles, the Spirit, sound like a mighty rushing wind, the Ruach of God, which blew, God blew into Adam such that Adam became a living creature, the same Ruach that passed dry bones in Ezekiel's vision and brought them back to life. The same breath then that Jesus drew in after his resurrection, the same breath that he breathed his disciples in the upper room, this mighty rushing wind comes and fills the space. It's audible. They hear it. And then they see tongues of fire upon one another's heads, a sign of the Spirit's anointing and power and presence. They see this. They experience it. And these apostles who were hiding away from the authorities now begin to go out and proclaim the goodness of God, the mighty works of God, and people hear them. And when they hear them, they are pricked to the heart. As, uh, as Peter recounts the prophecy of Joel, which was part of our call to worship this morning, the, the word of the Lord to the prophet, 
I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old shall dream dreams, and your young shall see visions. Joel in the, of the Old Testament proclaimed that one day God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And here it is. Um, just an aside. This happens how many days after the resurrection? Pentecost? 50 days. There's another significant feast day that happens 50 days something in the Old Testament that the Jews were actually celebrating. That's why people from all these different tribes had, had returned to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. So 50 days after the Exodus, after they passed through the waters of the sea, 50 days later, they go up on the mountain. Right? Moses on the mountain, and they come at kind of certain levels which sort of mirror and pattern after our, our sanctuaries are patterned after that pattern. Moses goes up. What, is, what does God give to them on tablets of stone? The Ten Commandments. Right? Which, and he enters into covenant. I will, I'm the God who's led you out of Egypt. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will be faithful to you. Here's how life is meant to be. How I've made you to be in relationship with me and other people. So, so it didn't take long for them to not do this, did it? Like even while he was the commandments, what were they doing with the golden calf? I mean, we're all just hopelessly messed up, aren't we? And so... After this happens, and humanity over and over again sort of breaks the covenant and God remains faithful and keeps um, sending prophets and eventually Christ, there's this idea that one day the law of God, the will of God, will just be written on tablets of stone, which are exterior to us, things that we try to read and keep. But that one day God, by the Spirit, will write His law upon our hearts such that God's will will be what guides us, what lives within us, which is written upon us. And in Peter, when they say, what does this mean? What does he start with? He didn't start with Babel, actually. He started with this prophecy of Joel. He said, what was written, that one day the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh, is happening now. This is what's going on now. And so they were pricked to the heart, and they said, well, what shall we do? You want to know what Peter said? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the promised Holy Spirit. That's what I said before the prayer of confession. The invitation was to repent and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, and that we would receive in that baptism the promised Holy Spirit. Anyone been baptized in this room? That's what happened to you. This morning at 9 o'clock, we baptized two boys. We, made, we baptized them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we drew them up out of the water, anointed them with oil. And that has been a sign of the promised Holy Spirit. Do you know why? Because oil is reflective. I mean, if you look through the whole Bible, there's always this anointing with oil, right? This oil is reflective. And catches light and gives the appearance, perhaps, in some way, of tongues of fire. It's a symbol. It's an image that participates in that which was originally given. And so Jonathan, 
Right now, if he hadn't wiped his forehead, he's walking around with a sign that looks like Pentecost. Jameson, right now. He's playing back there with a sign of the Spirit. And more than this, the law is written now upon their hearts in a different way, as it is written upon your heart. And so I thought it might be helpful, since we're baptizing, since we're welcoming new members this morning, to think just a moment about baptism and about what has happened to them this morning, what has happened to you, and upon what is affected in that holy sacrament. Um, So just a few things. This isn't comprehensive. But to begin with, um, when you're baptized, you, you get a new name. You receive a new name. Um, you know, my name's Michael Tate McKee. Uh, Michael, discover there's an angel who's named Michael. In Hebrew, it means who is like God. It's a question. It's rhetorical because obviously no one is like God. And so when people say, Michael, to me, the call for me is to hear that reminder. There's no one like God, which is kind of a nice name to have, isn't it? Although most of the time, when I hear Michael, I say, you know, like, what now, you know? But in my better moments, I hear that. Tate, named after my dad. It's my dad's name. McKee, if you trace it back far enough, there's some folks from the highlands of Scotland who made their way across the ocean and, um, and ended up here. Decent name for a Presbyterian, I guess. Uh, name from Scotland. But you know the the most important name I have is the name that I was given at my baptism. And the same is true for you. In all of your, your uniqueness and all in the identity contained in your name, the most important one was at your baptism. When you were baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, into the name of God. Names in the scriptures are important. Um, Abram, before he entered into covenant with the living God, was Abram. But then, after the Lord made a covenant with him, what did he do? He gave him a new name. He was different. Named him Abraham. Think about Saul persecuting Christians, holding the coats of others while they were stoned. Met Christ on the road to Damascus. Who are you, Lord? What did he receive? A new name. Paul would be his name. So too in baptism, we receive a new name. We're joined to the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why? Because when we're baptized, we receive, we enter into a new family. Um, you're adopted. That your baptism is sort of your adoption ceremony into the family of God. And so when Jonathan and Jameson were baptized this morning, they were adopted into God's family. And adoption, um, even in our earthly sense of that word, doesn't have to happen, does it? Uh, It is not something that can be forced or required. It only happens by the grace of those who choose to adopt in love, welcoming another into their family. And so, too, it is the case for us. When we're baptized, when God adopts us into God's family, it's purely grace. He doesn't have to do that. He chooses in love to do so. Um, Paul says that when we're drawn into God's family, we're given the Spirit so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. We can now refer to the Lord of everything that is, the maker of all and the redeemer of all, the sustainer of all, 
the end of all as, I mean, it's really informal, right, in the Greek. It's like dad. It's what you can call God. In baptism, you're also uh, forgiven and washed clean and given a holy bath that makes you holy. Um, In the ancient church, the baptismal font would have steps where you went down into it. It sort of was about the size of a grave, which was intentional. And so men and women were baptized sort of in separate areas, and uh, you would come and you would take off your old garment, take off your old clothes, sort of like a taking off of your old self, your sinful self, your me-centered self. You take that off, and you walk down the steps into the water where you're baptized, given a new name, adopted into God's family. You walk out the other side, and they would place a clean, white, brand-new garment upon you as a sign that you are now clothed in the righteousness and the purity of Jesus. Um, In fact, uh, the Holy Spirit in the sacrament of baptism seals God's promises upon you um, and joins you to Christ by way of a mystical union. Like, if if you get into Paul and start reading the New Testament... Union with Christ is perhaps the the main theme he's talking about. How you are made one with the Lord Jesus. And this happens mystically by the power of Jesus in a way that goes beyond our ability to explain. Such that when you go down into the water, when you go down into that little tomb, you die. It's like a drowning. And when you're raised back up, you're brought up to new life. But But when you die in baptism, you're joined to Jesus' death. And when you rise up again, new and alive, you're raised up, joined to this life, his resurrection life. And since you now belong to him and are made alive in the Spirit, here's another thing. You're also made a member of Christ's body. Um, Which is not like being a member of the beta club at school um, or a member of the golf course or even a member of um, a civic um, service, something like this, organization. You're a member as in like you're a body part of a body. Like you would call your your hand or your foot or your arm or your leg a a, a member, a part of that body, an eye, an ear, as Paul will speak of it in the New Testament. You become a part of the body. Uh, Anybody in here, sometimes a little hard of hearing, I said, is, is, is anybody in here sometimes a little hard of hearing? <laughs> right. And when you, when you can't hear as well, you can't function as well. In the same way, when you're a part of the body of Christ, we, we need each other. If somebody's an ear, we need a good ear. If somebody's an eye, we need a good eye. We need each other because we bring different parts to the body that when we're one together, we function more fully. We function better. And so... When we welcome these new members today, we're, we're grateful that God has drawn them here, but we also, those of you who have perhaps been a member five minutes or 50 years of this particular congregation, you're also saying, oh yes, we actually really need them because they have gifts and they're different than what we have that continue to build up this body so that we can more fully reflect the love and the life of Christ in this place. Um, the good thing is when you receive the Spirit, you receive uh, the promise that God's working in you to grow and develop 
in you the fruits of the Spirit. And that's a long process. And fruit, you know, some people planting gardens right about now, right? But that fruit doesn't bear forth immediately. It takes time and water and so on. But eventually, the Spirit works in our lives so that we begin to be people of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. And these things begin to be ways that you might describe one another. Because you see those gifts of the Spirit at work. And maybe that can become a way that people that aren't necessarily this congregational body might begin to describe us. Those are people of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. The Spirit's going to be in us for that purpose. And finally, the Spirit's going to give you a mission and a task. Um, a task to announce the good news of Jesus, that He's alive. Uh, announce the good news that Jesus continues to give the Spirit to the church, continues to ready, continues to adopt people into God's family, continues to forgive and to wash clean and to give purpose so that the whole world can be directed by the church as a sign, as a foretaste where you can actually experience it a little bit, and as a symbol of the fullness of God's kingdom. Where the Tower of Babel, where we just talk past one another, isn't that what the world looks like? And because we talk past one another, we're against one another, and there's animosity between people. But now, because Christ has ascended by way of humility and poured out the Spirit, because God's drawing people so that we become one in the Son, about the work of healing the world. Healing our community, our culture. If there's a time when we might need that, I'd say this is a good one. So that's the work that we're called to. That's the life that we're about. I hear there's some folks that want to join that work today. Um, Even as there were two young men who decided they wanted to enter into the life of Christ too. I'm thankful for all this. I'm thankful for you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.